listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Black Sabbath's 14th studio album, Headless Cross. Released on April 24th, 1989, it would be the band's first album on their new label, IRS, and the first to feature legendary drummer Cozy Powell. Vocalist Tony Martin would return for his second album with the band, this time being more involved in the songwriting process. Session musician Lawrence Cottle played bass on the album, with Neil Murray joining the band for the album's tour, and Jeff Nichols rounded everything out on keyboards. For the trivia fans out there, longtime Iomi friend and Queen legend Brian May would play a guest solo on the song, When Death Calls. The album was generally well-received, although sales were low. On the positive side, it was seen by many as a new chapter for the band. The low album sales forced the cancellation of most U.S. tour dates. Headless Cross, Devil's Daughter, When Death Calls, and Call of the Wild represented the album in the band's set list when they were able to play. Okay, Darren, uh, Headless Cross, what are your memories of this album? So I remember seeing the video for the song Headless Cross, and it was a pretty cool video. It was like it was set in an English countryside and uh, the band was sort of shadowy and there was some fog and, and everything. And then the visuals kind of reminded me of the Black Sabbath Dio era <clears throat> after we had sort of gotten to that strange period between Seven Star and Eternal Idol where Black Sabbath became somewhat ambiguous as far as where they were coming from and we, we didn't really know where they were going and it was more or less like with with, with seven star it was like a tony iomi solo album that became a black sabbath album and then eternal idol was a black sabbath album we had a revolving door of musicians so it really wasn't a band um but here looking at this video it seemed like <clears throat> there was a there was a band playing the music the song sounded cool it sounded to me like something that could have been on Mob Rules or Heaven and Hell at the time. Uh, the singer, I had to take a double take because I thought at first it was Dio. And of course it wasn't. It was this new guy, Tony Martin. But to me, he sounded like Dio. So I was excited about it. And uh, when I got the album, I remember I was going to school in Philadelphia and there's a Tower Records within walking distance from my dorm. And I went down there. Uh, and sure enough, the album was there. I bought the album. Uh, I listened to it. There's an intro, and then we'll go song song to song like we normally do. But the intro, and then the title track, and I was like, "Yeah, this is great." And then from there, it kind of sputtered out for me. It it uh, wasn't what I had hoped it would be. Um, there's a couple songs that I the title track and and the epic when death calls i think or what i really hoped the entire album would be but i was kind of disappointed by it i was kind of confused and really wasn't sure what what they were trying to do and it really 
it seemed like it wasn't really that much of a progression other than a couple highlights from where we were in the previous two records. Um, now, it, it appeared as though they were trying to get back to a Black Sabbath, a, a familiar Black Sabbath aesthetic because we had the, the cross and we had the the logo with like the old English font. So, I mean, visually we had an album that looked like a, like a traditional black Sabbath record. And when you listen to the songs and I was listening to the lyrics, I could hear the lots of mention of Satan and crosses and evil and wings and bats and devils and things like that. So the aesthetics were there to try to get it back on point from where it drifted off from, and I think lost the plot on like seven star. It seemed to try to pull things back, but it just missed the mark for me. So in spite of that, I listened to it a few times and I didn't mind it. But when I listen to it now, it, it sounds really dated. The production quality at the time was very modern. That hasn't aged well. Um, and we've talked about this before where I, Tony Iommi's guitar solo or his guitar tone starts to get kind of neutered and you don't have that rich, heavy, deep sound anymore. It, it's more or less kind of homogenized and, and there's a lot of that sound on, on Headless Cross. So that kind of turned me off at this point. Um, and I don't, it's not an album that I, I revisit very often. There's a couple songs, like I said, that I, I still like that I think are worthy of being in the Black Sabbath canon. But overall, it's it's an album that it's just sort of an odd man out. Um, it, it's hard for me to really qualify it as a true Black Sabbath album. And I, and I guess it depends on the person's experience of Black Sabbath and when they came into Black Sabbath. And this, if this was the first Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath album they bought, then I can get it. Um, if it was like me, if you had already been invested in Black Sabbath for about, you know, 10 years prior, um, it was strange. It, it didn't sound like, it, with the exception of a couple of songs, it didn't sound like anything that they had done before. And it sounded very modern. It, it has an AOR sound. By AOR, I mean <laughs> album-oriented rock. So it has a big, slick production, a lot of melodies, a lot of hooks. It's obviously was intended to be, to have a wider appeal. It was intended to to land on radio, be more conducive to MTV in a way of making videos for songs that had uh, kind of a modern hard rock aesthetic. And the advent of bands like White Snake and some of the hair metal and stuff that was trending at the time, it's not too not too far off the mark from that stuff. So I, I kind of get it. Um, but to me, it I, I really don't consider it a Black Sabbath record in the traditional sense. And that's kind of where I am with it. I was listening to it before we did, we did this podcast and <laughs> my opinion of it is still pretty much the same. There's some songs. I, I really like the title track. I, I like the song When Death Calls. But other than that, I mean, it's just sort of, it's there. It's not, there could be a lot of things, but to me, it's not really a Black Sabbath album. Yeah, this album uh, came at an interesting time for me. Uh, 
I had drifted, started to drift away from metal right around the late 88. And uh, part of that was I was graduating from high school, heading off to college. I was starting to feel a little burnt out on metal. I che had checked out on Iron Maiden. I had checked out on Judas Priest, uh, checked out on ACDC. These were my core uh, core bands, uh, but I had pretty much stopped listening to, to those bands, but I was still interested in Black Sabbath. I was still listening to Black Sabbath, but I was out of touch with, I wasn't watching MTV. I was in college. I was occupied with that. I was living without a television. This is way before the internet. So I was completely out of touch with, with, you know, what was, what was going on in the metal world. And I can remember there was a uh, like a mom and pop local chain record store gallery of sound, Wilkes-Barre, uh, Pennsylvania. And just uh, one day was was walking around, stuck my head in and there there it was the new Black Sabbath headless cross. So I grabbed the cassette. First thing that struck me was uh, the album cover. I think the album cover looks kind of cheap and cartoonish almost and for black sabbath the band that gave us artwork like heaven and hell and mob rules which are things you could in my opinion frame and put on your wall uh this felt kind of cheap to me i i still think it does it has a, like a comic book feel uh, to it which i thought was strange uh when I listened to it, I, I kind of had the same reaction that you did. It sounded very kind of modern, uh, slick, a little slicker than I was used to hearing from Black Sabbath. I was a little taken aback by Iomi's guitar tone, which feels kind of processed and a little modern, and it's kind of far back in the mix the keyboards are mixed up pretty pretty high uh i was a fan of of eternal idol we talked about that in our eternal idol podcast that i had was disappointed with seven star eternal idol brought me back in i'd liked tony martin i was happy that tony martin was still singing with the band being that at this point it seemed like black sabbath was turning singers over with with every record it was cool that Cozy Pal was in the band. That seemed to give it some excitement and, and, and credibility. Uh, there's a lot of things I like about this record. There's a lot of things that there's some things that haven't aged particularly well. I remember being impressed with uh, Tony Martin's voice on this. I felt like he uh, got to show off his talents more on this album than he did on the eternal idol which now with history learning the history behind the the eternal idol album and we talk about this in on that podcast that at the time i didn't know this but tony martin came in at the very last minute and basically sang ray gillen's uh vocal parts so the the headless cross is really for me it always feels like this is really tony martin's first black sabbath album because he's involved in the songwriting and, and the lyric writing. I remember even in uh, 19, 1989, even though I'm a, I'm a sucker for songs about 
wings and bats and <laughs> devils and things mm -hmm. like that, you know, as uh, in my heavy metal heart, uh, that, that stuff, uh, appeals to me. But I remember at that time feeling like, uh, the lyrics were a little bit, uh, playing to what you would think black Sabbath would be like somebody who doesn't know black Sabbath really well. These are the type of lyrics that they think Black Sabbath is always think, singing about. And I always had to argue with these people and say, no, 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 man, listen to those old Black Sabbath songs and you'll realize they're talking about the earth and pollution and all yeah. this other type of stuff. But these lyrics wow. sort of almost feel like a, a cliched, very 80s cliche, very uh, 80s, uh, very what an outsider would think black Sabbath lyrics would be. And that was another thing too. I kind of felt like it felt like black Sabbath was trying to fit in with what was currently going on in the metal world, fit in with the production, fit in with the lyrics, fit in with some of the music and some of the songs. And I was aware of that. I sensed it back then. And as time has gone on, it's it, th that feels more apparent to me that uh, they were, there's things on here that feel a little cliched and you sort of don't realize that at the time because in 1989, they're not really quite cliches yet. Uh, yeah. But as time has gone on, when I sort of look back on this record, uh, listen to it again, it, it, it does feel dated and it's it's disappointing that Black Sabbath is a band that they had such their own sound. They had a sound with Ozzy. They had a sound when Dio came into the band, even when Ian Gillen was there. And they never it never felt like they had to try to play to what was going on at that time to try to fit in. Like they had to show up at the party and try to fit in, you know, they're black Sabbath. They don't have to, they do their thing. You try to fit into them. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. And this felt a little disappointing. Like they were sort of looking around at all. And, and for those who might not be old enough to, to, to maybe you weren't born yet during this time, or you weren't old enough to, to know this, but 1989, I mean, we are so deep into the whole LA uh, you know, we we are now third and fourth generation Motley Crews and Rats and Dawkins and things like that. We're talking, you know, Trickster and Firehouse mm -hmm. and that stuff is starting to bubble up and, you know, all this real radio uh, metal type stuff. The productions are getting super slick and bombastic and everything. And it, it just felt like Black Sabbath was 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 trying to fit into this to this world and it works to a certain extent and at other times it, it doesn't work and like you there's songs on here that i really like like the ones you mentioned when death calls headless cross uh nightwing yeah. killing the spirit spirit world i'd probably throw that one in there too but then there's there's other ones that just kind of uh that just kind of fall flat. And it starts this era for Black Sabbath where, again, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not standing above all the other bands. It's like they're, they're trying to fit in and it's, and it's disappointing because they're, 
Uh, they're they're such a creative band, and and even though like during the Dio era, Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell, you know, they were right there in all that, but they just still seemed like that that they were just on a higher level than your typical typical band. And now it feels like they're they're in there with these LA bands and everything like that. And I remember thinking that that that, that was a little disappointing. So as much as I was happy to have a new to stumble across a new Black Sabbath record, walk into the store and, and and just see it. It 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 did feel a little hollow to me, and it did feel like it was lacking some of the qualities that I expect from a Black Sabbath record. Now, a lot of people really like this era of the band. If you're somebody that and and I do really like this era of the band. I mean, I want to make it make it clear that I that I don't like this record. I I do like the record. Uh, and if you're somebody that maybe came in a little later on Black Sabbath, I can understand how this may have appealed to a different generation of fans because it did kind of sound like a lot of stuff that was going on at that time. So when you say Black Sabbath and you refer to it as this was Black Sabbath doing this and this was Black Sabbath falling short of this, and you're referring to to this band as Black Sabbath, I think it's very generous of you to say that because this isn't this really isn't Black Sabbath. And I think that all the things you're talking about reinforce why it isn't Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, and I, I've often said, well, I, I used to say that as long as Tony Iommi is in the band, it's Black Sabbath. And I've since retracted that statement because upon closer inspection, and when you're comparing different eras, and especially when you get into this era, you realize that there's something missing. There, it's not just one thing. There's a couple things missing. You have one constant element, and that's Tony Iommi. But that's not enough to consider it Black Sabbath. And when you get into this era, and especially the things that you were just talking about, and in reference to this era, it really becomes obvious that you need Geezer Butler. You could benefit from the services of Bill Ward. Um, mm -hmm. You need a charismatic singer like Ozzy or Dio, but you you need someone other than Tony Iommi to support the weight of and the reputation of the band Black Sabbath because he can't do it by himself. And this is evidence of that. This album wasn't a Black Sabbath album. It is a Iommi Powell record. These yeah. two guys got together and decided that they knew what they were doing and they were going to make a Black Sabbath album. And it makes sense. I mean, Cozy Powell's a veteran of the you know, British rock scene, very well respected, and he's a great drummer. Um, but he just came from, he did a short stint with Emerson Lake and Powell, formerly Palmer, Carl Palmer left ELP, and Cozy Powell took Carl Palmer's place, and he, he did a really bad album. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they had one hit, Touch and Go, and I, I kind of liked it at the time, but there again, not to get too far off track, but that's another song that is sounded cool at the time, but you listen to it now and it's like total cringy. It's just like lots of cringe. But anyway, so Cozy Powell is coming off that short stint and cross paths with Tony Iommi and Tony Iommi is now got it in his head that he wants to rebuild Black Sabbath. But I don't even think that Tony Iommi understands what made Black Sabbath, what put Black Sabbath on the map and what made them as successful as they were up to this point. I think he maybe wasn't aware of, you know, from and it's, it's easy to, to 
be in his situation where you don't see things from an objective perspective. You don't see things from an outsider's perspective. You don't realize how important the lyrics were or how important the voice was. You just see things from your perspective and what you contributed. And I think as long as he felt that he was in the right headspace and that he was able to contribute, that it would be a Black Sabbath album. And then he had his partner on board, Cozy Powell, who he respected and everyone respected. He was a well-respected British drummer, rock drummer. Been a lot of great records. So with these two, you know, joining forces, you might think, well, this this could be really good. But it, what happened was it made it very apparent that without the other three members, you can you could say either Ozzy or Dio, but without Bill or Vinny, but especially Geezer, it just wasn't Black Sabbath. You needed to have some of the old members on board to really have that special chemistry in Black Sabbath, because when you don't, this is what it sounds like. Yeah, It sounds like an AOR record. And you're right, that at, in the background we had, the, the music scene was just horrible. We had third generation Motley Crue bands, uh, Firehouse, yeah. um, Trickster. It was just it's really, really bad. And in the context of that stuff, when this came out, when I saw that video, I'm like, uh, MTV was just riddled with, with horrible music. We had, Lita Ford was releasing horrible music. Um, yeah. And it was just, from one video to the next, it was just bad. We had Skid Row, and some people listening to this might like Skid Row, but I got to say, when they when they came out, and I and I first saw Sebastian Bach, I I was like, no, just just no. And then the other bands like Trickster and and everything. So we had a string of videos, and then all of a sudden you see Headless Cross, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, what's wow? This is awesome! Oh my god! It was like a breath of fresh air. And like I said, I mean, on first impression, it, it sounded like, to me, it sounded like Dio. And when Cozy and Tony first got together, supposedly they were actually entertaining the idea of having Dio rejoin yeah. the band. And they had also tossed the idea of David Coverdale joining the band, although he was never really approached. Yeah, they say it was actually Cozy that encouraged them to bring yeah. Tony Martin back. That that right because he heard Jeff Nichols and Black Moon Iowa. Rising and he yeah. liked Black Moon Rising and he said, "Well, wait, this is this is our guy. We'll, we're going to go with him." But the other thing is now they were also working with uh, an independent record label. Basically, IRS wasn't a major label. They had gotten dropped yeah. from Warner Brothers, and the only way they could get another deal with a major label is if they brought another older member or at least an all-star member or a, a headlining musician into the fold they weren't going to get a deal um so and they didn't have that um they'd ask geezer but or geezer wanted to join or something geezer landed up going ozzy. with ozzy yeah he was on board with ozzy so they didn't have geezer so lawrence coddled who's a friend of cozy's came in and did the session for the album uh, neil murray later joined for the tour so really it was tony iomi cozy powell lawrence Cottle, and this new singer tony martin relatively new he of course he sang on the eternal light but he, he wasn't a, he wasn't a well-known singer so that's what they had and the best they could do was a deal with irs and one of the things that was attractive to tony about irs was he was talking to the label owner founder miles copeland who said look you know what you're doing you make an album i'll back it up i'll put it out there you do what you want 
do whatever you want to do. You're, you're Black Sabbath, you do it, I'll support it 100%. So that was attractive to Tony, and he felt like now he could have full control, he could do what he wanted to do, and teaming up with Cozy, they're going to put this album together, and and they did, and it was contrived. It, it's basically what they thought fans wanted from Black Sabbath. They wanted an album cover with a cross on it. Yeah. They wanted a logo with old English writing. Uh, they wanted songs about bats and demons. And that's Tony Martin. You, you said it sounded like somebody who wasn't familiar with the band came in and wrote lyrics about of, of what they thought they Black Sabbath was about. And that's exactly what he did. He wasn't really familiar with black sabbath he yeah. was doing he was assigned the task to write lyrics and fit his lyrics his writing though the words were carefully selected to correspond with the way that he sings but he wrote from the subject matter of what he thought a black sabbath song subject matter should be and it just sounded very forced and uh, I, I, false uh it wasn't the creative uh style that geezer had with the, the imagery and the double entendre and and a lot of you know just thought-provoking social commentary uh the more cerebral type of lyrics that geezer would bring on board which maybe on surface seemed like they were kind of of an evil nature but once you look further into them you saw the the dual meaning to a lot of them so the the lyrics that tony martin brought in weren't as cerebral so that aspect was was lacking that that wasn't quite that was misfiring on this album so you didn't have that um and he had a singer and he had a good voice but he just kind of sounded a little bit generic i don't think he had quite the charisma definitely didn't have the charisma of dio and he didn't have the personality that ozzy had he was a good singer he had a good voice still has a good voice but not enough to really sell it to me anyway um and it just kind of to me it just sort of sounded like a generic british metal record and i think that that was pretty much what cozy brought into it and i think after it was all said and done he probably sat back folded his arms and said yeah this is a good album <laughs> but what does yeah. cozy Powell know about black sabbath i mean he was never you know waiting in the wings he had never he was off doing his other thing i mean he was in rainbow and i mean what yeah. did was really the in, inner circle of black sabbath not really so we basically had a guy, from, three guys. Well, I you really can't consider Lawrence Cottle a member of the band, or even somebody who was coming to the table with any kind of, uh, you know, yeah, he has no songwriting credits on the record. Yeah, but you know, you had Cozy and 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 Tony Iar Tony Iommi and Tony Martin, basically trying to flesh out a Black Sabbath record. And I don't think any of them really had an idea of what it was that made Black Sabbath special prior to that, and that's where that's where things are misfiring and that's where things just aren't hitting the nail on the head, so to speak. Yeah. A couple of thoughts on that. I mean, this, this, this begs the age old question, when is a band not a band anymore? And if they had decided to call themselves headless cross, name the band headless cross, would people have looked at this era of the band differently? Maybe, because when you have a band that's been around as long as Black Sabbath, has put out iconic albums like Black Sabbath has, has a history like Black Sabbath, uh, it's very hard for people not to think of that when they hear you know, something new, something like this. They're going to naturally compare it to what to what came before it. 
And when it's this different from what came before it, it can be pretty jarring. And in some ways, probably it would have been safer for them to just call the band something else. Because like you said, there's almost nothing at this point, except for Tony Iommi, that can connect this to anything from before it. I had mentioned in the Eternal Idol that that felt like the end of an era for me, which ironically was Tony Martin's first album, but it felt like the end of an era for me because I felt like there were still some riffs and moments on the Eternal Idol that I could see happening somewhere early in the band with Dio or with Ian Gillen. I can't hear, and outside of the fact that sometimes Tony Martin has Dio-esque qualities to his, to his voice, Definitely. the songwriting itself, it bears no resemblance to early Blacks, especially the Ozzy era. It bears no resemblance. There's none of that, uh, what you described, the Geezer Butler, Bill Ward, the the secret formula of those early Ozzy records, the way they could go from a swing feel to a straight feel, the tempo changes. You don't get any swinging on this album. You don't get any of that sort of Bill Ward swing. You don't get any Geezer Butler style lyrics. You don't get any of the vibes that you really get from the Dio or the Ozzy era, maybe the Dio era a little bit, but a little bit, but it's so far removed that I would even say that if somebody came to me and said, Hey, I've never heard any black Sabbath before. I say, okay, here you go. Here's, here's mob rules, heaven and hell. Here's a couple Ozzy era albums. Go listen to them for a month and come back. Oh, by the way, uh, check out this band. And I just played Headless Cross and didn't tell them who it was or what it was. I bet you they would never guess that it was Black Sabbath. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, like you said, it, it it doesn't connect at all. Another thing that, and you you mentioned this about them now getting on IRS, which was a smaller label than Warner Brothers. And it has to be emphasized how down and out Black Sabbath was. It's the Eternal Idol, they didn't even tour the U.S. for that. It, Tony Iommi was paying for things out of his own credit card, his own pocket, to just try to keep the band afloat at that point. They were really a wreck. I mean, their time with Warner Brothers just came to a screeching halt, and it crashed and burned. As much as we, I like the Eternal Idol from a business standpoint from a publicity or where Black Sabbath was, uh, you know, the name of Black Sabbath. It was at a it was at a really low point. And when Cozy Powell comes into it, I think part of bringing Cozy Powell in was, okay, we're going to rebuild this thing. We're really going to try to get a steady lineup. We're going to try to build the name of Black Sabbath up again. And if you see interviews from this era, it's almost always Iomi and Pal together. Sometimes Tony Martin's there, but it's Iomi and Cozy side by side there in all the interviews. It was really like, okay, let's try to build this thing back up. But they were really down and out. And they were down and out in a way that if you didn't know any better and you were just reading the history and there were no dates involved, you knew nothing about Black Sabbath, you would think this was 1995. Like when most metal bands couldn't tour the US, the traditional, you know, old 70s, 80s metal bands 
when grunge hit and those bands couldn't tour the US and their album sales were flopping and they were, but this is kind of where Black Sabbath was in 1989 when metal was just everywhere, still very, very popular. So for them to be in a situation where they've now been dropped down to a smaller label, Iomi talks about how they were walking into record stores when they were out on tour and they can never saw the record anywhere and being upset that like, you know, hey, people can't find the record, but they were on a smaller label. Pretty much the entire US tour for Headless Cross got canceled. Uh, they were at a really low point. So I think because of that too, I'm, I'm guessing that that may have affected, you know, maybe Iomi was just at a point where he was like, okay, yeah, we've got to rebuild this. We've got to try to, there probably wasn't a lot of confidence in the Black Sabbath camp at that point. You know, because again, low album sales from the Eternal Idol, tours being canceled, uh, so they probably felt like, let's just try to do something to make us relevant here and to, to make us seem like we can sort of fit in with what's going on at this at this time. And uh, would they have been better? I totally get why people, uh, you know, this is an age old going all the way back to the first time I got on the Internet and I looked up Black Sabbath, people were discussing the Tony Martin era. And there's a bunch of different camps on this. Some people that just won't listen to this era at all think it has nothing. And I get it. I get both sides of this, this argument because it really is so far removed from Black Sabbath. And, it, and a lot of it is, is how invested are you in the eras before this? If you're somebody that kind of discovered Black Sabbath with Born Again and you were seven star, you know, maybe you weren't as okay, you were able to, to to handle this era of the band better. Uh, but again, it all comes down to when you're when you have a name like Black Sabbath, when you have a history like this, it's a lot of baggage. And uh, in hindsight, would they have been better off calling would the, would these discussions be different if the band was called Headless Cross and you weren't? I mean, it would have naturally gotten compared to Black Sabbath because Tony Iommi's there. But sure. I think people would have accepted it a lot more and it would have been viewed in a different in a different light. It would have been thought of differently. But but as it stands, it's a, just like we talked about with Seven Star. It's called Black Sabbath on the cover. You can talk all day long about how it was supposed to be an Iomi solo well, record. But the bottom line is, is it says Black Sabbath on the cover and it's the same thing. Here, it says Black Sabbath on it. The Black Sabbath name carries a history and certain expectations. And some ways it lives up to it. And in a lot of other ways, it kind of doesn't live up to the name. Black yeah, I, I think it's a mistake to go. Well, it was definitely a mistake to call Seven Star Black, Black Sabbath. That was a record label decision based on the fact that they didn't think the album was going to sell as well if it was a Tony Naomi solo record. And they were probably right. Um but I mean, at some point, there should have been somebody in control of the situation, Tony Iommi, that said, you know what, I, I'm i not going to bother trying to compete with the band that I was in before by establishing, trying to establish something new. I'm going to go my own way and put my own band together and 
fans of Black Sabbath will probably like it, but I don't want to be in competition with the previous two or three, if you want to consider the Gillen, because the Born Again was a pretty significant album for Black Sabbath. So I'm I'm not going to be in competition with the Ozzy era or what we did with the Dio or or Gillen. I'm I'm not going to be preoccupied with that because it's just going to be distracting and it's going to be frustrating. I want to go with full creativity into something else and maybe it'll sound like black sabbath but maybe it won't but if it doesn't it's not going to offend anybody because it's not going to be called black sabbath and i think he probably should have done that in the same way that ozzy did or in the same way that dio did you know i mean he had a big enough personality he had a big enough notoriety where he could have maybe called the band iomi or just him and cozy could have decided to form a band and, and like you said call it headless cross or something and it would have attracted sabbath fans but you know it, maybe it would have introduced this style of music to a, a different audience uh, because like you said i think like we talked about earlier it did pull in a contemporary hard rock british rock whatever you want to call it sound that was sort of trending at the time white snake the 87 album was huge videos all over mtv yeah. uh, it was big and um so they were they were trying to and in the process they were trying to assimilate with what was going on it, it, but i mean obviously they couldn't be like a glam band i mean could you imagine Tony <laughs> I only would, <laughs> makeup and, and dressed up Thank like God, no. hey but you know what i wouldn't be i wouldn't have been surprised if he if he made an attempt well you but mentioned he, white snake look at the career move that, yeah that white snake and yeah, I mean, it works you know, for I, them it worked for them. They changed the band over. They got guys that looked more modern. They dressed sure. with the, the the look. They teased their hair out. And I mean, they had a massively successful album with it. But that's a whole nother phase of Whitesnake that somebody who maybe comes in with a still of the night and, and that kind of stuff may have yeah. been totally confused if they bought one of the earlier Whitesnake. But the and, reverse yeah. of it here for Sabbath is, is that Sabbath had a massive success in that early part of their career, whereas White Snake weren't as successful, then they changed and then right. they became hugely successful. Right. It's the reverse here. Black Sabbath successful in the beginning, they start to change and it's not as successful. Well, White Snake had a pretty good run from Slide It In, and uh, Slide It In was that was like pretty much the breakout album. It's a very respectable album. It's the last White Snake album that I really enjoy. Uh, Cozy was on that. So I think that um, I think you try to bring some of that into Black Sabbath and and I get it. It, it sort of makes sense. It's like, you know, this is something that will, will probably be successful. You hear Tony Martin, he had entertained the idea not to you know be redundant, but he entertained the idea of getting getting Dio back in the band. But then he remembered, oh, wait a minute. I had such a hard time with Dio when I was in Rainbow. Maybe that's not such a good idea. And. It was, it was Cozy's idea to maybe approach David Coverdale, but like we just talked about, Whitesnake in the 1987 album, and I think at this point they either had released or were going to release Slip of the Tongue, and that was a pretty popular album. So Whitesnake, there was be no reason why David Coverdale would come aboard a sinking ship like Black Sabbath or a successful band like Whitesnake. So they decided to keep Tony Martin, but Tony, there was no guarantee that Tony Martin was going to be initially on Headless Cross. Um, it was Cozy Powell that heard the uh, demo version, I guess, of Bad Moon Rising and really liked it. 
and decided that Tony Martin was going to be their singer. But to, uh, Cozy Powell was like, Tony Martin talks about how um, he, for, uh, I guess it was Nightwing, he sang the song just to get warmed up. And Cozy said, that's it. You just did it. You you sang the song. And Tony's like, oh, but no, seriously. Okay, I'm going to do it for real now. He's like, no, no, no. That's it. I like that take. That's good. And Tony Martin at that point realized that, wait a minute, Cozy Powell's the, he's the boss. He's telling me what to do. I'm working for Cozy Powell. And Cozy Powell and Tony Iommi were leading this band. And so Tony Martin was basically, he was kind of a hired gun too. But he was also saddled with the responsibility of trying to figure out how he, along with Tony Iommi and Cozy Powell, could make this band relevant again. And he did that by writing these lyrics that he thought would correspond with the previously established Black Sabbath aesthetic, which, as you pointed out, sounded kind of contrived and forced. And what someone who doesn't understand Black Sabbath might think Black Sabbath lyrics are supposed to be about. But anyway, it was a really strange dynamic at this point, And it was something like, that probably shouldn't have been called Black Sabbath. They probably should have moved forward with a Tony Iommi solo band or maybe establishing a new band and, and moving forward with the style of rock that he was comfortable playing because even the guitar tone didn't sound like anything in pre on previous Black Sabbath records. So there really wasn't any ear classic earmarks. And we talked about this on one of our videos from layer of the alchemist right what is the what is the why don't people like the tony martin era and i said there was just too many things too many new things converging at one time that alienated the black sabbath fan base we had the presence of keyboards and they weren't just keyboards they were synthy keyboards they weren't traditional rock keyboards and from yeah. a piano or an organ these were synthy keys that were riddled throughout this album we had a guitar tone that didn't sound like anything that Iomi had previously recorded before. We had a different singer. We had all these things together on an album that sounded so foreign from anything that people could associate with a previous Black Sabbath album. It really was off-putting to somebody that was just coming, that was trying to keep up with Black Sabbath and trying to hang in there for all the changes from Ozzy to Dio, from Dio to Gillen, from... Uh, Gillen to Glenn Hughes, and now we've got Tony Martin. At a certain point, it's like we've moved way too far away from where we started. The plot is completely lost, and this is where we are right now. Yeah, and I would say even the problem, and this is just sort of just came to me, but the problem with this record, it's almost like even in 1989, it was, it was like they were it was sort of even dated for 1989. Like it, it, it sounded like something from like 84 or 85. Whereas if they had started, if Cozy had came in and, you know, we're, we're only like two years away from the grunge, the not, we're, we're one year away from the nineties. We're two years away from grunge exploding and everything. And you see what like Ozzy did with No More Tears in 1991, where Ozzy starts to move away from all this sort of 80s sounding stuff. And he's starting to 
moving into a new decade, um, ACDC, the razor's edge comes out. And I think 90, maybe 90, some, somewhere around there, even that's a little bit like new producer. They're trying to move into a new, new decade. This sounds like it's, it sort of fits in with the time, but the lyrics and the album cover look kind of 1984, 1985, they could, would have been better served to saying, okay, look, we're going to, we're turning the page here, new record label. We're, we're starting a new thing here. Let's try to be forward thinking. It's coming to the end of the decade. The winds of change are in the air. You can sense it coming. Uh, let's try to be forward thinking. Let's try to move blacks. Here's a perfect opportunity to move black Sabbath into the nineties, a new decade, uh, and instead, they put out an album with all these sort of cliched lyrics in the cover and everything, which makes it seem like, again, if you didn't see the the name on the cover, you would think that this was some young band on Metal Blade Records or something, something like that. You know, it just doesn't. They should have said, okay, it's time for us. This is the this is the new Black Sabbath, the mature Black Sabbath, just like Ozzy with No More Tears. And we'll talk about that when we get to No More Tears. But he sort of starts moving into this. Okay, I'm getting older. I I, I you know I can't be singing about bats and castles anymore. I can't be dressing really nutty. And you know I've got to sort of age into this this new phase in my, in my life. And it's just, it's, it's a shame that they maybe management or again, the uncertainty, the eternal idol does so poorly there. The, the, the band is at such a low point. It's, it's, it's unfair to compare it to Ozzy because Ozzy's star just keeps rising uh, through the eighties. Uh, yeah. But I'm sure with the Ozzy camp, it does a lot of that with some sure management and Sharon saying, Ozzy, it's time, it's time to change new decade, new era. This is, we've got to move into the nineties and somebody should have said the same thing to black Sabbath and they could have maybe transitioned. I mean, where was deep purple at this time in the nineties? What were they doing? I, I don't know. You know, deep, deep purple with perfect strangers, you know, that was an, an album moving forward, a new, new sort of era. They should have done this, done the same thing, tried to change the sound a little bit. But unfortunately, they didn't, and I think it was maybe a little too late. We've talked about this on the how fatiguing it was with Black Sabbath with constant member changes. Uh, not only were there different members on every album, but every time you opened up a magazine, there were pictures of who is this per guy's just lasting for one photo shoot. So they had worn down a lot of their credibility and the average fan, it was, it was really difficult to get behind black Sabbath because, uh, you know, the lineup changes, the, the, the chaos around the band, they, they weren't touring. They, uh, so it's, it's disappointing, you know, maybe with a better business decision and an eye towards the future, they could have, they could have shifted the band in a in a different direction and it could have aged a little better and maybe it would have worked out better for them. And, and as much as they wanted to start this new chapter with the band, we're going to see we're, we're right around the corner from Dehumanizer. They're going to set, Iomi's going to sabotage the whole thing yeah. by 
throwing this all aside and all this one for all, all for one, we're building this from scratch. Did you hear Cozy Pal talk about this, the feeling like, okay, we're going to, here, I, I'm with you, Tony. I'm I'm the long haul here. I'm going to help you rebuild this thing. Well, I always going to abandon this thing in about, in a couple of sure. years. <laughs> well, they weren't making any, yeah, they weren't making any money. I mean, these are musicians who are used to making, you know, having a very lucrative career to now, basically in the trenches again trying to get this this band reestablished and, and the other thing is i mean they didn't have when you talk about management or people that could offer advice or or, or counsel um they didn't have that i mean they got dropped from warner brothers so there wasn't even a manager that was looking at black sabbath as a viable um investment opportunity and why would you want to get involved with a band that was just dropped from a major record label and now was on not only IRS, which was kind of an upscale <clears throat> independent label, but now a, a subsidiary or like a, an imprint of IRS. They were now IRS metal, which is kind of like a slap <laughs> in the face for a legacy band like Black Sabbath. Uh, but Antonio, I mean, he talks about how when he met Miles Copeland, he said that he was greeted with you do whatever you want to do i'll back it up well that's kind of a blessing and a curse because now there was nobody to listen to it and say okay this is what you need to do because we need to sell this record you need to get a better you need to get somebody in here to produce it uh yeah. the, the album headless cross was produced by cozy pal and tony Iommi. that probably wasn't a good idea because there's a right. lot of things going on here that don't work so get a traditional get martin birch back in i always <clears throat> I always talk about Martin Birch because I think Martin Birch did such a such a phenomenal job with um, Mob Rules, and I think that really reached a high plateau, a high watermark for for Black Sabbath music. And I think that even with this lineup, if they had a better producer who maybe dialed back some of the more modern or some of the wonky keyboard things, and maybe said to Tony, "You know what? Bring back that classic guitar tone. Let's let's get that." Let's get that going because people are going to they want to hear that. And let's make that something that corresponds. We don't have a lot of things going on here that correspond with previous incarnations of the band. But if we have that, that's something that people can latch on to and at least say, yes, this sounds like Black Sabbath because I can connect the dots from this back to Mob Rules or Heaven and Hell or Master of Reality or whatever. But there's nobody to do this. There's nobody to do damage control. It's just these two guys working on an album for somebody that says, whatever you guys want to do, I'll put it out. And that guy yeah. actually ends up disappearing. And then it ends up in IRS's wheelhouse. And they don't know what to do with it because their big money, their big ticket acts are like REM. And, and basically yeah. all, what was before the term, I think, was actually in use, alternative music. And even though they did have like this little subsidiary thing, this little file folder of stuff they could put in there like i think nuclear assault had something on irs metal like i really offhand i can't think of any other band that was on irs metal other than black sabbath and nuclear assault and nothing against nuclear assault but you know i mean for black sabbath to be in the same label as nuclear assault was kind of like whoa how the mighty have fallen <laughs> like, yeah a headlining stadium you know, classic metal band now had fallen this far. Um, so it was like this this 
IRS records thing was like a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing in a sense where Iomi felt like he had complete creative control, but it was a curse where there was nobody to guide them in the right direction where they could actually make an album that would be appealing to the to people, to fans of the band, or to the mass audience, music listening, hard rock, heavy metal audience in general. It's something that, like you said, it sounded kind of dated. It it wasn't really current. It was sounded like something that could have yeah. come out in 1984. It's like a weird way, like tonally, like from a from a production standpoint, it it sort of fit in with the time, but like with the the lyrics, it would. It was current and dated wow. at the same time. It was really weird. And I think if they had had a, I mean, as much as I love Martin Birch, I think the better plan would have been for them to get sort of a newer, uh, somebody who had their, a little more forward thinking producer and somebody that could have carried them into the nineties a little bit more gracefully Maybe if the record label had sat down and said, okay, guys, here's the plan. You know, we're looking at three or four albums to really build this thing. We're going to carry this thing. You're Black Sabbath. You're the godfathers of heavy metal. You know, we want to start portraying you as just like Ozzy started moving himself osmosis. He's the godfather of metal, this respected figure. They could have done the same thing with Black Sabbath and, you know, tried to just move them in a different direction but you're right they get left to their own devices and uh you know this this is what happens but to, for me still even at the time uh you know there's 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 still uh, I, I still enjoyed aspects of it there, yeah. there were you know we'll, maybe in a moment here we'll we'll get into the We'll start start we'll point, getting we'll into the songs. Out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, you know, there's enough. Like, I mean, I think Tony Martin really shines on this record. He yeah. he's his voice is he sounds fantastic. Uh, Iomi's guitar playing, as much as his tone, I don't really care for the tone on this. He seems like he ups his game a little bit with his guitar solos from like the technical standpoint. Like maybe he's aware of all these guitar shredders out there. So he's kind of shredding a little bit at times. So, all right, well, maybe this is a good segue. We can move into the, move into the songs. So the album starts with uh, a brief introduction here, the gates of hell, which is just a little one minute soundscape of uh, keyboard sounds. And then uh, headless cross kicks in. And I remember hearing that and being immediately like, taken by the drums this is a very uh cozy pal is here he's making himself uh known on this and if there's if there's one song from the tony martin era it, what i would consider to be the signature tony martin black sabbath song for me it's headless cross uh i think he sounds great on it the chorus where his voice is wailing super high is uh, fantastic. I always loved that part after the second chorus where it does a that part is super cool. Uh, Omi has a pretty cool, somewhat technical solo for, for Tony Iomi, although it feels kind of pulled back in the mix, a little reverbed out uh, for me, but uh but a strong opening number. And I mean, remember being taken a little bit aback by Cozy's drums 
style is very different than Bill Ward's. He's way more sort of a, you know, driving on top of the beat, pushing forward type of drummer, whereas Bill is more laid back, swingy. Cozy's also tonally, his drums are very different than uh, Vinny Apices, where Vinny's sound really big and bombastic. Cozy's, I don't know. What do you think of the of the drum sound on this? Okay. You're a drummer when you I'm, listen back to this. I'm very, I'm really glad you asked because I, <laughs> I hate the drum sound on this. It's yeah. one of the things I didn't really, I mean, we've been talking so much about concepts about the band and, and a lot of other things about this record. But now that we're getting into the production thing. The one thing that really sticks out are the drums. The drums are triggered. They're the noise gated. You, there is absolutely no there are no ghost notes whatsoever on this now cozy powell um anybody who's listening to that to this podcast i'm sure has heard rainbow rising uh long live uh long live rock and roll you know that cozy has a very bombastic drum sound in a lot of ways he's similar to to vinnie apice um when when cozy and even with the michael shanker group the the albums that he did with michael shanker group um he he sounds great very wide open very deep rich not unlike john bonham in some respects except that cozy was a double the double bass drummer um it's strange that he was instrumental in having this sound on his drums because it's never happened before to to any of this, uh, the production uh, on the albums that he's been involved in, but the drum sound on this is one of the things that really mars this album. Um, and I'm a drummer, so I my ears go to the drums pretty quickly. You know, the guitar and, and of course the drums, and the way that they're gated, especially in the opening. Once we get through the intro, and the intro is cool. You know, it builds up, it gives it some atmosphere, and it's a good segue into Headless Cross, but once those drums kick in, like, yeah, you know, it's diminished. There's, there's no resonance. It's just diminished, diminished. It's like, it, it doesn't sound natural. It's not a natural. It could be a drum machine. I've said this before. Uh, you could, you could basically play, have this entire album replaced with a drum machine. It might even sound better. Nothing against Cozy Pal. He's, a, he's a great drummer. And there's a couple times when you can hear certain fills and you're like ah that's that's cozy pal yeah okay yeah he's definitely on here i i can hear it now but overall i mean from song to song there's very little evidence that this is actually cozy pal in fact when i first got this record and i'm like ah, yeah cozy pal's on it i was kind of disappointed i'm like it doesn't sound like cozy pal is he on the whole album or is he just on a song or two <laughs> no, he's on the whole album and he's a co-producer so it's really strange that they ended up with this kind of a drum sound on yeah, it, it and it doesn't work for me in Black Sabbath. And I I mentioned Bill Ward, I mentioned Vinny Apice. Uh this type of drum sound and the way it's like very very like you mentioned a drum machine like that it's very straight. It's very like uh yeah doesn't swing at all. It's it's very and hey, I I love Cozy Pal. Yeah, me too. The snare is a little bit loud in the in the in the mix. It's a little bit sort of gunshot like. I guess that's the trigger triggering yeah. nature yeah. of it. Uh, 
I remember reading that uh, Cozy, when he came into the band, that I don't know if they said he, it was like part of the the contract that he signed or the handshake agreement on this that he had to have the word, the last say, control over the drum sound. And I think it's a little bit to the detriment of of the band. Tony Iommi's guitar should never be should never feel at all like it's in the in the background. And there's times here where the keyboards wash it out a little bit, the drums overpower it a little. And uh like you could picture if Vinny Vinny Apice played this intro instead of the hi hat being dude it'd be more like you know it'd be something yeah. like slower with go 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 you know and then maybe yeah, but- speeds up or something when it comes in but there's just something about like the way Cozy plays his hi hat on this intro and the sound of the snare and everything. And again, it's not bad. And maybe in another context, it it would work. But when it comes to Black Sabbath, I remember being just a little bit taken aback with the first time I heard it. Like, wow, this is like really, it this feels might, different. It might work better if there wasn't so much space between the notes because it really makes the drums more the sound of the drums more noticeable if it was something that was a little bit more densely played where the you know maybe faster type of music or something but in yeah. particularly in this song and, and as things build in tempo it's not quite as noticeable or, or if it is it's not as distracting it's most noticeable and distracting when there's more space between the notes like especially in the, the beginning and the intro of the song and anything that is like slower to mid tempo you really notice the way that the drums sound. And it's strange because like in Rainbow, I mean, you could always count on Posey doing a really amazing or cool or interesting fill, something coming off the hi-hat or yeah. something involving the kick drums or some kind of a cool tom pattern. You don't hear any of that. And it, it's really kind of strange. It's like he just posted through this, but... I, I don't I don't think he did. I think he was I think he was invested in it. I think his, he invested his playing in it. I, I think he really wanted this album to sound this way. And it's it's strange because it doesn't sound good. It's strange for a drummer to want, you know, typically drummers will pick out, you know, the heads they like and the the, the size sticks so they can, you know, hit the drum heads a certain way where the resonance really carries through with the shells and there's a lot of aspects to to the drums. It's not just something you hit. There's a lot of ways to get a cool tone and a unique tone from certain types of drums, certain sizes, certain shells, and and things like that. And, and a seasoned drummer like like Cozy, you would think, would be very fastidious about how, especially if he had full control over how his drums sounded, you would expect the drums to sound amazing. Like, oh my God, he's got a maple Yamaha kit and you know, he's got deep shells, he's got a 16 and an 18 inch tom, he's got two 26 inch kick drums, you know, he's loaded for bear, he's got cymbals all over the place, and but you don't hear any of that. That that could be the case. You don't hear any of it. All you it hear is, is a saturated snare and yeah. a kick drum that just sounds dead as a doornail. 
It's almost like they he, he probably got carried away with all the technology that was available at that time. You think of his drum sound, that intro to uh, Stargazer, you know, if oh, this yeah. song had that kind of drum sound to it, it, sure. it would have been Burke. just so much better. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even the Michael Schenker stuff, that's not, you know, when he's with Michael Schenker, he had a yeah. really you know, kind of very natural woody, you yeah. know, you mentioned it's like a very woody drum uh, type of sound, but here it's, it's just very like, they just got carried away with again, the, the lack of a producer, you know, probably too much time on his hands and he starts turning knobs and twisting <laughs> things. And before you know it, the sound has sort of gotten away from it. And it's, it's a shame because uh, I, I mean, we said this in the Eternal Idol. The snare drum sound is is not the greatest on the on on the Eternal Idol either. But uh, it just doesn't serve Black Sabbath well. This this kind of sound. They're not a band that uh, washed out sounds just don't don't work well. Too much reverb, you know, no. this kind of thing just doesn't doesn't serve them well. So it's a shame. But it's a great song, I think, because of the chorus and because of. Yeah. Tony Martin really this Tony Martin has arrived on this record you know it feels like he's trying to really make a statement here with the vocal his vocal range and the dynamics and his voice and everything and the the way the chorus is and everything he really carries a lot of this song the verses there really isn't much underneath the verses it's it's him carrying this song so I really think a a lot of this is uh, Tony Martin I in this particular this, song i think the statement he's trying to make is look i can sound like dio too <laughs> on through the mist yeah you know you don't hear that on anything in eternal idol and you really don't hear that sort of thing that, that yeah gruff, you know that more dio low, reaching down low and then coming yeah. up hot in the dynamics yeah he's to me, it sounds like he's trying to sound like Dio, and it, it you know, that's the kind of the voice that works well with Headless Cross. What it, what Tony Martin's doing is the right choice. So unfortunately, it sounds like something that Dio would have already done, and this would be what Dio would do on this song. It sounds less like Tony Martin, more like Tony Martin trying to sound, sound like Dio. But in spite of that, it's cool, and uh, th- yeah, this is one of the two or three song, three songs, let's say that that I feel are worthy of being considered good Black Sabbath songs. Headless Cross. Yeah. And as we move on, then okay, yeah. But yeah. First one here, Headless Cross. Okay. Uh one. Devil, Devil and uh Devil and Daughter. Uh this was okay. Uh, I mentioned earlier about I remember the guitar solo in this one, I always really flying all over the fretboard. And I remember thinking like, uh, you know, it sounded like kind of a modern style guitar solo. I was impressed at the time that I only was playing this chopsy and this fast. And I, you know, I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an okay song. It's nothing, nothing mind blowing. Uh, groove i guess and it is the main riff is is pretty decent but uh mostly what stands out for me is iomi's uh iomi's guitar solo uh it's filler i think it it sounds like it could be it could definitely be a white snake song 
um, one of a few songs on this album that could be a White Snake song. It could also be a Kiss song. It could also be a Sans Makeup Kiss song off of Animalized or Asylum. I can kind of hear that. I can, I can, I wouldn't be surprised if it said at the bottom of the lyrics that written by Gene Simmons. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So. Um, it's very out of character for Black Sabbath. It's not a bad song. It's got a good hook. It's got a good melody. Um, gets to the point pretty quickly, and it's got a good flow. But it's filler. You know, it it carries me through from Headless Cross to the next song, and uh, that's really all it needs to do. Yeah, it yeah, it's, and it's a, it's a shame this early in the album that we get a song that does kind of feel a little bit like filler uh but the next song uh when death calls uh i think that's one of the stronger songs on the album mm -hmm. uh the intro is pretty cool there's this kind of interesting little bass thing going on uh harmonics like he's got some kind of effect on the bass which i think is is pretty cool uh it's pretty moody. The chorus is pretty big when the chorus comes in. I like the uh, the part towards the end when the band is kind of double timing the speed and they're jamming out and rocking. Uh, and uh, let me see what the uh, don't look in those sunken eyes. Don't look and you'll stay alive like that whole part. Mm -hmm. And then when it drops back down, and it goes back into the chorus there and like, you know, the riff goes into, uh, you know, like half speed and they go back into the when death calls uh, chorus. So, yeah, this is a strong point on the on the record for me. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's one of my favorites on this album. It sounds like something that could have been from the Dio era. It's got an epic quality to it. Yeah. Um, it's uh Yeah. I like it. It 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 kind of stands out as one of the more traditional sounding. By traditional, I mean '80s era, early early '80s era Black Sabbath songs. Um, I would have loved to have heard it with a better production, you know, to get more of that classic Iomi tone. There's not enough of that here. It would have really worked a lot better with that. But even in spite of that, it's still it's still cool. I like it, and um. You know, if one reason to two reasons to own the album would be Headless Cross and When Death Calls. Also, Brian May does the first guitar solo, which is oh cool. yeah, yeah, we forgot. Well, I mentioned that in the in the credits yeah. there. Yeah, he's he's listed. Uh, I looked up the original. It's it's not listed at all on my vinyl copy that Brian May is there, uh, yeah. but in the cassette which I I looked up, it says thanks for the solo. It's in like the, you know, thank you section. It says, thanks for the solo, Brian May. It doesn't even really tell you what song he's on, but as time has gone on, they, we've learned that, yeah, it's him in there. So yeah, that that that's kind of cool. All right, uh, next is Kill in the Spirit World. Uh, I like this one too. I, I always found this one a little strange, the verse, like the feel in the verse on this song. There's something wrong. There's a chill in the air. It's a little like, <laughs> it, it, it's it's so strange. Like I love the, where when everything drops down and the chorus comes in, there's been a kill in the spirit world. I think that that's 
great, but the verse is very like almost poppy, popish yeah. or something. And so, I mean, maybe that was intentional uh, to contrast it to the chorus, or maybe it's just, I know they didn't know where to go with this song. The verse is all radio pop and the chorus is all spooky. Uh, I especially love this there's this spot where everything sort of drops down for like 10 or 15 seconds. The bass is just boom, 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 boom. And the keyboards are making some sounds and, and Martin's singing really low in his voice. Uh, but man, the verse in this sort of take takes away from it a little bit. Yeah, this is very generic British rock. It's something that, you know, you could see on a Kerrang! magazine compilation included with by some generic band that they're you know, like Thunder or something, one of those bands that were the pet bands of Kerrang! magazine from the UK. Um, and what's weird is the lyrics, if you took, take the lyrics apart from the song, the lyrics are dark and uh, well, as we referenced earlier, something that Tony Martin kind of felt inclined to do to make the lyrics a black set part of a black sabbath song so you got dark evil you could even say satanic lyrics in a song that sounds kind of poppy in a british way just really kind of happy comes off very commercial aor yeah. um does not probably one of two or three songs that mar the album for me as far as being able to really fully considered a black sabbath album this is just anybody who says that this song sounds like black sabbath i would just be really disappointed i would just just look at him like what are you talking about <laughs> what other song up to this point would even be in the same wheelhouse as hill in the spirit world it, it's so well, i think yeah foreign. I think the chorus, so that's what's so weird about it. Like when 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 it sort of drops down in that chorus and there's been a kill in the spirit, you know, I think that that's really cool, but it's just, man, the verse is so, yeah. uh, like you said, like 80s AOR rock or something. It's so, so bizarre. It really sort of takes away from the song. They should have ditched everything and said, hey, this is kind of cool, this idea, everything drops out and, you know, you're singing the chorus of the song, but we got to build the, the sections around yeah. it because um, it doesn't work. It, it, it was also generally, and I was thinking about this earlier, it, it was also kind of a weird time and and for British rock too. I mean, UFO had released an album misdemeanor which i liked at the time that it hasn't really aged very well but even that album had there was no michael schenker pete way was out of the band there was no andy parker i think it was just phil phil moog phil mogg and there was no other original member of the band uh it was just and the music was very keyboard driven very aor I mean, there was no hint of like a lights out or force it or no heavy petting. It was just a very generic AOR British rock album with with Phil's vocals. Um, and, and so, you know, that was also in the background that I think British rock bands 
whether it was because of a lineup change or maybe them not really being able to find their place in the current musical context started to do weird things and and this is where black sabbath does it killing the spirit world they just sort of lost their identity yeah it's almost a good example of the confusion at this point you could sort of picture this chorus being used somewhere else in the band maybe when ian gillen was in the band but you did the, the first part of the song is the verse is just so not black Sabbath. And it's just a good example of the confusion with where they were at and not really knowing what, what, where to go. And you get it here sort of jammed all into one song, the, the AOR ish verse and the sort of darker sounding chorus. But again, it just sounds confusing in the end. Okay, so then it goes on to uh, Call of the Wild. And although I think the chorus is pretty catchy in this one, and I do like in the chorus when he's, it's the call of the wild. I don't know if it's like a key, the keyboard is playing this line. It says it was like a harpsichord type sound underneath it. It gives it a little bit of a creepy vibe. This is another one sort of sabotaged by the verses for me. It 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 has a very generic sort of 80s sound to it and it sort of feels like filler again it's like the the chorus is pretty decent and they 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 maybe if there was a producer again a strong producer might have said okay guys this this chorus is good but you got to do something with the with the other parts around it it's just not it's just not working uh so for me this is one that feels like filler i think this is where it gets to a strange place with trying to qualify the identity of this band as Black Sabbath, because <clears throat> you could say, well, a song like Call of the Wild, which is very commercial, um, especially that part where it goes with the, the after the chorus, maybe it's part of the chorus, Hero. Um, they were almost going to call the song Hero, but Ozzy had a song on his album, No Rest for the Wicked, that was called Hero, so they decided to call it Call of the Wild, or, or, so, or so I read. Um, but here is where Tony Martin sounds really at home. This is his context. This is this kind of song that his voice just naturally really adheres to. Does this style so well. He just drives it home. He sounds comfortable. Um, really pleasant to listen to. But then you have to pull yourself back and say, wait a minute. This isn't a Black Sabbath song. This is, again, this is like a generic British rock you know aor sounding song it doesn't have anything to do with black sabbath um so even with a producer you would they would have basically work with the tools that they had and the tools being the musicians involved and there's a lot they could do with cozy's drums there's certainly a lot that they, they could have done with tony's guitar uh they could maybe pick some different keyboard sounds something that was more conducive to uh, the right vibe of the song, but they're working with this song and the way that it's structured. Then you have Tony Martin's voice, and there's only so much you can really do. You could try to get him to sing like Dio, which he kind of does on Headless Cross, and that sort of works for a minute. But really where Tony Martin excels is his natural ability to just his range, the sound of his voice, He's a little bit bluesy. He's definitely uh, 
more commercial sounding doesn't have the character or the charisma that that Gil or the Gillen had or that that Dio had or that that Ozzy had you're, you're not going to make you're not going to take what Tony Martin brings to the table and turn it around and make it sound something that's sinister it's really he doesn't have that kind of voice yeah so you, you can't really do a lot with Call of the Wild but it's a good song um it's a little cringy at this point for me and uh it, it's hardly a black sabbath song but i mean to, to look at it objectively no it, it's not a bad song that is a good point about tony martin that where ian gillen was able to adapt to black sabbath without having to go so far away from what Ian Gillen was about. He was able to make Ian Gillen fit into Black Sabbath. Ian Gillen made Ian Gillen fit in Black Sabbath. Uh, And he didn't have to go down the road of, you know, singing the cliche type things. He was still able to have his own lyrical style and still able to make it fit with the shrieks and the falsettos and, all that stuff. And it does sort of feel like Tony Martin's zone, his real comfort zone is something like this song. This is Mm -hmm. this sort of melodic rock type of thing. And if you've heard some of Tony Martin's solo stuff through the years, you hear that that's kind of where he, where he shines, like you said, where he's sort of, where he's sort of comfortable. And, uh, it does sort of feel awkward at times. It doesn't really work in the context of Black Sabbath. And we keep coming back to a producer. Maybe a producer could have coaxed it out or handled it a, a different way. But but as it stands, yeah, it just kind of doesn't it doesn't doesn't feel right in the context of Sabbath. And the next song you know, is another example of this for me. I hate this main riff at the beginning of the song. Do, 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 do. It sounds like, I I don't know. It just, uh, from the first time I heard it, it just sounds so stock. Sounds like uh, 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 (laughs) something ZZ Top would have put on one of their on an uninspired ZZ top like lick it's trying to be kind of bluesy but it just like it just falls flat for me and the chorus is so sing-songy I see a black moon rising I can't get out of my head from the first time I heard this song uh Credence Clearwater Revival Bad Moon Rising it's just oh it probably my least favorite song on this album that main riff at the beginning so just disappointing from and i know what he's going for he's going for something that's kind of bluesy but it just like sounds so not right and no no a producer may have been able to work with this and and gotten this a little bit darker there's not a lot of darkness on this record Uh, once you get past when yeah well i mean Probably the darkest song on the album might be Headless Cross. Um, and this is where, when I said earlier, when you said, what are my memories of this album? Well, my memories being that it started off good and then got to a weird place and it kind of 
rode that out with the exception of one or two songs and the second well after headless cross the second song that i thought was pretty satisfying was when death calls and the last song nightwing i thought was pretty satisfying but you know when we go from killing the spirit world call of the wild and black moon it's almost like you're looking at this album cover and you're seeing the name black sabbath out on it and you see that the celtic cross and the moon and, and you're right it does look kind of cartoonish but it it, it, it makes a statement and unfortunately, when you get to this point in the album, the statement is like false advertising. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> why isn't, I mean, I could see the video for, for Black Moon. I, I could see it in my head. And I it, it, it kind of raises the question, why didn't they do this? Why wasn't there a sports car? Why wasn't there like a, uh, like a, like a, a sheen over the camera with a sports car and a girl? <laughs> Kind of like walking <laughs> along the side of the sports car when it goes ba da 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 da, and she's like touching the side of the car, and she's got red nails, and she like looks shocked, like surprised, you know. And so Big now, hair know, walking up, and <laughs> and the band's like you know leaning over a fire escape, and they're singing to her, and <laughs> Tony Martin jumps down, and he's snapping his fingers, and he's got like a a leather denim jacket with white booties, rails hanging you know. from it. Yeah. yeah, sounds like we gotta sounds... make this video. But anyway, I, I I digress. But that's that's where my head is. It's not on, you know, murky oceans with ships sailing across, or a dungeon, or a right. castle, right. or a damp, uh, you know, dungeon like the yeah. the sort of mindscapes that I I get into when I'm listening to like the song Black Sabbath or or. Uh, born again or or sign of the southern cross this takes me to a cheesy 80s video and that's yeah. not where i want to be when i'm listening to black sabbath but you know Here that's the song conjures <laughs> up for, for better or for worse and we'll just say it's for worse and an unfortunate thing that starts happening during this era of black sabbath is you start getting songs that are just forgettable that they're just there they don't do anything and you can go back let's go back to the Aussie era and hey there's songs that everybody doesn't like there's songs that people don't like uh changes mm -hmm. you, you may not like changes but you probably remembered it yeah. after you heard it right sure. breakout you don't really want to hear saxophones and Black Sabbath, but after you heard it, you remembered it. There's nothing worse than just nothing. You don't just, it just goes by you. Yeah. No impression. There's nothing like, oh my God, a saxophone and a horn section and a Black Sabbath. What the heck? This is so weird. Well, These are just there. They're just there. They had the songs go by they're kind of okay, but they don't stick with you. You don't remember them. The hooks aren't quite good enough to make you really want to come back to it. And that is a memory I have of this record. I kind of liked it, but I didn't find myself re-listening to it a million times. I didn't find myself getting really invested in and it was just kind of like a ah, new black sabbath yeah it's cool you know i kind of like it but i just didn't really make 
any kind of impact. And I think part of that is because there's too many songs that are just like what we're describing right now. I'd rather see Black Sabbath fall on their face with Breakout, where at least you went, wow, that was weird. I mean, it didn't really work, but gosh, it's it's weird and it's kind of quirky and strange. Yeah. And I'm not going to forget that, uh, you know, Black Sabbath with a, horns and a saxophone. That's going to stick in my head. You know, this just sort of just goes right by you and you don't even, even as how many times I've listened to this record when I was prepping it and got out my vinyl and started listening, I, I, I get confused when I get to this part of the record. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like when the song starts is, is this black moon or is this call of the wild? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like these yeah. songs sort of blend into each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I will say though, I, I I'm going to disagree with you in that the songs are catchy, uh, they are memorable. I do get these songs stuck in my head, unfortunately, um, especially called Wild, uh, Black Moon, Black Moon Rising, and Black Moon. But that gets stuck in my head too, uh, and and Killing the Spiritual. I mean, they all have they're all hooky. There's something memorable about them. Um, Call in the wild. Call of the wild is one that I usually get stuck in my head, and I'm not. I don't like when it does. It's like it just it gets stuck in my head, and sometimes like maybe even the next day, I'm like, what is it? What was that song? Oh, right. <laughs> it's Call of the Wild from Endless Cross. But I mean, there's something to be said for for getting a, a song that does, you know, get into your subconscious, and it. it yeah, it, I'll it, give it that. Oh, the choruses in these are pretty good. Where these do or that they they're hooky but i'm sort of contradicting myself but for me i think it's the the verses and just the songs i, and, I get what you know, mean. the riffs don't really jump out at you which is a shame to say that when you're talking about tony iomi the the godfather the king of the riff yeah. these just kind of the riffs fall a little bit flat which is not something you tempt to tend to think of i guess what it is too is is that they sound very sort of generic like other things that are happening at that time that's maybe why they sort of blend in they blended into the wallpaper of the 80s you know late 80s at this point they just they sound like a lot of other things it may be catchy but it sounds like where have i heard this before is this a white snake tune you know it's or is this yeah. a you know, it just sounds like it could have been somebody else or some other band, the way they're formulaic, the way some of these choruses are. Yeah, I will say that they do sound interchangeable. Um, the only thing that makes them distinct is the fact that the title of the song is in the chorus. So when you have that chorus stuck in your head, by default, you remember the name of the song because it's called The Wild. Like, I hear the chorus to Call of the Wild and then Hero and then a couple of lines after that, but it's called the wild that usually cycles around in my head. Likewise, I hear a black, I see a black moon rising. Well, black moon, the name of the song. So that's why it, I remember it distinctly from the other songs because the title is in the hook. Um, but again, these songs don't sound traditionally dark of what we're familiar with in the Black Sabbath album they they sound like they're they should be made into videos where i can see like girls with 80s haircuts that look kind of like <laughs> banana rama i'm not trying to be funny i'm this is really what i'm seeing 
yeah, I'm a, I know. You know, I'm, I'm a visual person, and I when I hear like "Call the Wild" or "Black Moon," I'm seeing girls that look like the three women from Banana Rama with those, you know, the haircuts like blunt haircuts, and you know, like, <laughs> like a little bit like Madonna, where they are pushing up their sunglasses, yeah. or they've got like a frumpy overall. That I just I see that. It may be because I watched MTV too much as a kid, but no, absolutely, and that's and... what that's what my and it's like a really um, profound difference from when we you know we're talking about like mob rules. I'm like, oh man, you know, I, uh, whenever every time I hear uh, listen to "Sign of the Southern Cross," I'm on that yeah. boat sailing across the ocean, and I can see the moonlight glistening on the waves of the water and murky and the boat's moving slow and i get into this whole thing where i and, and that's my visual when i'm listening to this album i, I see you know bananarama and i see you know, <laughs> sports cars with tinted windows <laughs> and yeah you and know, you know somebody may somebody may throw up the argument and say hey, you know what about like lady evil yeah that song's pretty i don't get that um, yeah I, I, but that's I, a totally different feel like you think about the verse in that song there's a place just south of Whitney. It's, you know, it's got a cool heavy sort yeah. of group tune even though it may not be my favorite song on heaven and hell it's still and the imagery that that conjures up you know going along with what you're talking about is, is i'm sort of picturing you know some 1970s horror witchy yeah. type of woman in a village or something like that yeah. and it's got a kind of a cool okay. group to yeah. it and the chorus is, is 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 melodic, but it's it's not like this. This is just really, like you said, real sort of eighties sing songy. Yeah. All right, but the album does for me end on a strong note. I do really mm -hmm. like Nightwing. I think that this song builds uh, nicely. I think uh, Martin really shines on this, especially at the end when he does that final Nightwing flies. He goes like way up in his range and belts yeah. that out. That's awesome. I love in the guitar solo, there's a little, uh, he, he plays a little solo on the acoustic guitar yeah. first yep. and then the electric guitar comes in. I think that that's really cool. It's got sort of an epic feel to it. So, so it ends, uh, the album ends really strong for me. And this is a good example of, you know, I'm just thinking of this right now, looking at these lyrics and it, it harkens back to, it conjures up, you know, castle type imagery and stuff like that, but it's done in a creative way that I think this works for me much better. You know, Nightwing has stirred and taken to flight, uh, it just these lyrics work for me whereas yeah. like black moon rising just it just doesn't work for me but this this does it, it's able to conjure up enough of those sort of dark sinister hammer horror type of vibes that i love from black sabbath but it doesn't sound corny i mean maybe to somebody else it does sound corny but this doesn't sound corny to me in this song whereas black moon rising does uh call the wild to a certain degree devil and daughter to a certain degree but so the album ends strongly i do really like this one yeah i i agree with you i think it does have more class than the other songs it's not completely dark but it's just dark enough i like the classical guitar solo that naomi does it, it gives it gives it another uh, layer of class and i like the riff that that cycling riff towards 
spin it around the beginning to the middle and then he brings it back at the end and they, we take it out with that riff and that's a good choice because it's a it's a thick riff it's a good classic meaty iomi riff it's probably one of the only times that we get that kind of a riff on this album um and so it works as a song um it's probably well it's definitely of the three my three picks headless cross when death calls and nightwing i would say are what i would consider to be black sabbath songs um the rest of the stuff is just uh I don't know what it is. The White Snake docking type of with a UK kind of uh, influence, United Kingdom, England, British, whatever you want to call it, commercial rock. But Nightwing, when Death Calls and Headless Cross, I think could qualify as Black Sabbath. So at least I'll I'll put them in the same, more or less on the same plateau as, as some stuff from Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules probably to humanize her um but yeah the gillen stuff is on the class by itself but this kind of goes into that epic uh those three songs go into that epic sabbath 80s type of thing yeah so it's a good way to end the album and i know let's yeah. not forget cloak and dagger we got cloak and dagger which was on the the single single I yeah which is okay song. it's pretty it's, a... it's not bad i mean it's not anything that i uh I don't regret it not being on the record, um, but uh, there's not enough to really like say, well, you know, don't forget Cloak and Dagger was a killer song that should have made it on the album. When we talked right. about No Rest for the Wicked. We had those two extra tracks. Right, that, right. Which Why weren't they on the album? Yeah. Why they should have been in place of a couple other songs? I can't say the same for Cloak and Dagger. It's almost like kind of like a bluesy Southern type of vibe. And I don't see that being on the album making the album any better in fact it might even make it more wonky um so yeah it's not really even hardly worth mentioning but for the sake of uh posterity book and dagger was a song that was recorded around the same time as the album but didn't make it on the album what was this it was on the b-side of the single for for what song was it black moon rising yeah I, yeah i don't remember if it was mm. that or headless cross uh yeah all right uh well there you go uh the headless headless cross this is certainly an album that uh gets black sabbath fans talking uh it's a change for the band it's uh one of those records that i go through phases where i listen to a lot of the the martin air stuff but i have to be in a certain to be sort of in a certain mindset i have to sort of suspend my belief a little bit and 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 say hey this is this is something different this isn't uh you know the black sabbath that came before it uh and it's sort of a mixed bag and i think if you've reached this point in the podcast with us uh you you can sense that that we feel the album is a mixed bag it's got some some good things about it it's got some things that are that are not so good some things that have stood the test of time some things that haven't so uh so there you go headless cross uh head on over to our facebook page we have a facebook page for into the void of black sabbath podcast we always post the episodes there uh give us 
give us your thoughts on this album. Uh, Darren and I also do. If you're interested in hearing more from Darren and I talking Black Sabbath, uh, head on over to my YouTube channel, Layer of the Alchemist. And Darren and I do a feature that we call Sabbath Sunday, dealing with uh, various Sabbath topics, lists, and fun things, fun things like that. I think we'll maybe do a headless cross uh discussion or something around headless cross soon because again is this it's one it's kind of interesting to hear people's perspectives yeah. on this album and hear uh, people's thoughts on it so got any final thoughts on uh, headless cross yeah i mean i it, this, this is probably going to disappoint some people because like we talked about earlier there's there's a real loyal almost cult-like support group for headless cross and people that i mean i i come across them all the time on on the internet on, on social media where somebody will post the album if it's like the anniversary of headless cross or something like that or i think today wasn't today's tony martin's birthday or something people were posting things about headless cross and what an amazing album a masterpiece and, and a lot of things phrases get tossed around like the best black sabbath album masterpiece underrated yeah. my favorite black sabbath album and it always amazes me that they're talking about headless cross because i just don't get that and i kind of hinted at that in earlier podcasts especially when i think when we got in and around the deal here i think i might have referenced this album or maybe it was when we were talking about born again or surely before born again because i I think I, I might have said that there's two albums that I, I've always had a hard time connecting with, and one of them was Born Again, and the other is Headless Cross. But I've actually turned a corner with Born Again, and uh, I listen to it probably more frequently now than I than I have. Uh, I mean, I got it when it came out, and I, I for years, and I going to go back and listen to the podcast John and I did on Born Again. I could we go of course very in depth on it, but I. For years, I always had a hard time with the production of it, but I've kind of turned a corner with that. Um, I think that with Headless Cross, I'm at the point where I'm going to like it about as much as I'm ever going to like it. Uh, I, if I had to give it a score, I'd give it give it a seven. Uh, no more, no less. <laughs> it, it's a solid seven. It's a big magic marker. Seven, very definite. Um, I don't think it'll ever be any more than that for me. I don't think there's going to be a time where I'm going to turn a corner and be like, you know, Headless Cross is an amazing album. I don't see that happening. Uh, but people are there. And, and you know, this, this podcast and hearing John and I talk about and make fun of some of these things might offend some people. But, hey, if, if you've hung with us this long, then you know the type of things that we like about Black Sabbath. You could have kind of predict where we were going to go when we landed on the martin era um we're not opposed to it we, we do like it but maybe john more so than i do i have a hard time really connecting it to what i consider to be black sabbath and uh and i and i do try and and sometimes i'll find certain songs that i can say yeah okay this is this works for me but unfortunately there's a lot of songs in this era that that miss the mark we're not even through it yet we're, we still have we've I think we have Tear next. Is that the album that, that's on deck? Uh, no, I think we have uh, Dio, Lock Up the Wolves is our next episode. Yeah, okay. Lock Up the Wolves is up next. We're not going to be back to, back to Black Sabbath 
for uh, we got lock up the wolves and then we got no more tears before we land back at Sabbath. It's interesting that you, when you're when I was revisiting this for for the podcast, it really made me sit down and I had to be honest with myself. And before I started prepping for this, I probably would have said. Oh yeah, you know, Headless Cross. It's 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 an eight point five out of ten. You know, it is a really good album, and and I would have really went to bat for it. When I really sat down and I really got honest with myself, and I really said, okay, compare this to Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Compare this to Mob Rules. Yeah. And yes, here I am contradicting myself or. I said earlier on, in some ways, you got to think of it as a totally different band. Well, yeah, that's true. But it also has the name Black Sabbath on it. Sure. And so does Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. That has the name Black Sabbath on it. And so does Mob Rules and, yeah. and all these other albums. And when I really sit down and really get honest with myself and and compare it to these other to these other albums, it's it it has its flaws, you know. It has things that that they may be kind of fun to listen to, but when I really sit down and think about it, it's you know, it's it's a real mixed bag uh, album. So in a weird way, I kind of found myself as time goes on. I think I like this album a, a little bit less as time has has gone on because I've just sort of. I just sort of take it for just what it is. And, and, but, but when I really think about it in the whole uh, arc of black Sabbath, it, it, it doesn't hold up that well, you know, no. compared to the Ozzy or the Dio stuff or the Gillen stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a step down, man. It, it, it really is. And I mean, if you're somebody out there that, that loves this record, uh, do you think that this is better than the Ozzy era? And I've met people that are like, they don't like the Ozzy era. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's fine. I mean, I'm, I, I'm glad this record is there for you. Uh, maybe it's helped introduce you to some of the other earlier Sabbath stuff. But, uh, but for me within the catalog of black Sabbath, it just, it, it, you know, it's, it's unfortunately the, a step down. So yeah, and I, I kind of get it because, I mean, I like, uh, you know, I've been pretty outspoken about my love for technical ecstasy. Um, people probably don't understand that. I, 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 on the Black Sabbath Facebook page, I see people, somebody will raise the question, what's the worst Black Sabbath album? Which is always like, it's always a baited, baited question. But I'll, I'll, I'll look and, of course, you know, Never Say Die and Technical Ecstasy yeah. ends up pretty frequently and i i like the album so i mean i get it when somebody gravitates to an album that maybe they have a special kind of connection to for whatever reason um and i certainly wouldn't do anything to diminish that or try to argue with them if they like it if they get something cool out of it then wow that that's awesome more power to you but when i compare this to like you you just to pull one out of a hat <clears throat> sabbath bloody sabbath it almost makes me sad because there's so much yeah. magic in that album there's so yeah. it, there's just so much going on that's just it's just wonderful music and the way that they layered the instruments and a lot of creativity going on in that album so it sounds so inspired and then to compare it to something like this where it's just so confused and 
um, I don't know, difficult to adapt to if you're more of a Black Sabbath traditionalist. Um, yeah, so when you said that, when you look at, when you're listening to this album, you might defend it when you're just talking about it and you're kind of like just only focused on this album and you're qualifying it by itself. You might say, well, yeah, I mean, I'd give it an eight out of eight and a half or something like that. But when you put it in line with everything else and it's like, wow, um, how does it rank along mob rules or Sabbath, bloody Sabbath or master of reality? I mean, it falls so, so <laughs> far, far from it those records it's like um you can't overlook that so yeah i mean anybody listening that that feels that they're getting angry when they listen to us talk about headless cross and and the way that we've been talking about it well just being honest <laughs> and, <laughs> and i think if you've been following us along you knew it was coming so here it is all right, so we'd like to thank everybody again. Uh, let us know what you think about this record. Head on over to our Facebook page, Into the Void of Black Sabbath podcast, uh, or head over to our YouTube, my YouTube channel, Layer of the Alchemist. Check out our Sabbath Sunday. If you'd like to, uh, we appreciate everybody's support. If you'd like to support us even more, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Into the Void a Black Sabbath podcast, and there you can make a, a donation of any amount that you would like. Uh, I'd like to thank Jack. He made a recent donation to the podcast. We really appreciate uh, the support. And uh, so thanks to everybody out there. We'll see you at the next one, which is going to be Lock Up the Wolves from Dio. We have officially entered the 90s. Uh, so this should be this should be interesting and fun. And uh, remember, you can only trust yourself, the 19 Black Sabbath studio albums, and Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. Mm -hmm.